It's Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. And I am so glad that we're walking the path towards healing together. So just a quick reminder, I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist with lots of lived experience with trauma. Also, the information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and not meant to replace any treatment by a doctor or licensed professional. And I am so excited today that we have as a guest the amazing Jana Wilson. (laughs) Jana Wilson is an emotional healing educator, meditation teacher, retreat leader, heart math facilitator, public speaker, hypnotherapist, author, and founder of the Emotional Healing System. Jana trained and worked with best-selling author and physician Deepak Chopra, Dr. Brian Weiss, and New York Times best-selling author Debbie Ford. And her new book, Wise Little One, coming out on July the 12th, 2023, tells the story of her personal experiences of child abuse and trauma. And she tells her story through the voice of her inner child. So please check out her website, JanaWilson.com. News and information about her group, semi-private and private retreats and exciting updates. Jana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carrie. It's lovely to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. And you know, in 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 getting to know more about you and the work that you do and your writing, I am absolutely amazed at at what you do and and how much your work connects with other people. And it's it's so intentional and thoughtful and meaningful. And yeah. You know, I I love one of my favorite things that you do is, you know, the tone of your book, Wise Little One, about your, you know, your your inner child. How did you even determine that A, you had an inner child and B, that your inner child needed that attention and that healing and that work? Well, it wasn't until my 20s that, you know, I began to understand inner child work through the work of John Bradshaw. He was a author and public speaker, PhD, um, a psychotherapist, and he his work really opened my eyes to my childhood trauma at a young age in my early 20s. And then, um, you know, I I had an experience at 12 years old through trauma where I was pulled out of my body. It was really a near-death experience that the trauma brought on. From fear, I'm praying and asking for to be saved, to be from this chaos that's going on at the moment my dad was beating my mother. And I was pulled out of my body, and I was told those weren't my parents, and this isn't my life, this was. And I felt that peace that passes all understanding and you know, so I, that experience woke me up to, you know, okay, these people might be my parents or other adults, but if they're not acting respectable or 
just because they're older than me doesn't mean anything. So I began at a young age to really get my voice and and to, you know, really feel that I was being guided like always, like I had a deep spiritual connection and that, you know, our inner child really is just a word carry for our feeling self. Because when we're little, you know, birth to seven, we're all emotion. And so I, you know, as I, you know, because I was woken up, really my soul was awakened at such a young age, it set me on a trajectory very young to heal my childhood because an adverse childhood experiences, I score 10 out of 10. So I had a lot of chaos and I got pregnant right out of college. And of course, I didn't want to raise my daughter the same way my parents raised me. So I knew I had to get to work. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's incredible. I didn't have even any understanding of the existence of an inner child in myself until I was in my 30s. And I began to really question, you know, my struggle was my relationship with my father. He was so abusive. And yet I craved his attention. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, craved his approval, which, you know, I tried all kinds of outlandish things to get that. And of course, you know, that didn't that didn't work well. Yeah. <laughs> was you got, you good, got attention. It just wasn't positive. <laughs> no, it was not a good plan. But, you know, that I I connected the fact that the little girl in me always wanted the daddy that she, that I wanted him to be, not the person he was. Right. And that was the moment for, wait a minute, what's going on with that? And you know, but it was like I said, not until my 30s. And you know, I'm almost 60 now, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and it's still a work in progress. So the fact that you had that kind of insight and that kind of of awakening at such a young age is incredible to me. Well, I think, you know, I I am a soul. Um, you know, so I know my soul is a pretty old soul. And so I, I feel like my soul had a mission and when, you know, at a, at a young age, you know, I was being guided to certain books, certain teachers, certain teachings, and they felt like home, like a homecoming. Like I knew the truth, you know, the truth, because it sets you free. Right. And so I began to look at my parents and, you know, my mom was um, diagnosed with uh, several diagnosis, mental illness, but back then they called it manic depressive, right? So it's uh, bipolar. She was diagnosed with borderline personality and um, clinically depressed. So my mom would, you know, I had to look at a young age. I didn't have to, but this was the question that came to me. Not sure quite how it came. Right. Might have been after reading Dr. Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters. That book really changed my life and opened my eyes to the possibility. We don't know if what happens when we die, right. but we have a choice to choose a belief system that empowers us versus disempowers us. So I was at that place because at 12 years old, I had a direct connection to the God. I was being told, you don't have to be 
a Christian for my love. You don't, you're not going to go to heaven and hell. Like none of that is right. And so I was questioning everything. Right. So because I already had that understanding, I wasn't living in a fearful, constricted state. Right. I mean, it was still a little there because when you're, you know, the intergenerational trauma and just, you know, handed down to me, that belief system was very strong, but it also provided a foundation for me to heal because my trauma is what made me so spiritual. Right. Which is incredible because I, you know, for me, it did the same, it did the opposite. I remember the night and I was raised, I was raised in the Catholic faith, you know, and I remember the night that that faith broke and the, and in the moment it happened. And, you know, I have been on this quest to really find a spiritual niche for, you know, the, and that was at 13 for the rest of my life. You know, I explore all of these things and still have, you know, all of these questions. So, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of an open-ended thing, you know, but knowing that you have that, that deep driven, you know, guide within you and without you is huge. Yeah. I think, do you meditate? It's meditation for me has always been tough. I make, I make uh positive uh, time to try and quiet my mind and so try, yeah, try. I, I struggle. So yes. just say I struggle to, I do that. Yes. Yes. So this is the reason why people don't meditate. Cause they don't understand it. You have to have a teacher, right? You have to have someone teach you because the, that's a myth of meditating is to quiet the mind. Right. Well, and, and yes, that's, that's, that is true. That is true. And that was going to be something I was going to ask you if you, what is, what is the first, because I know I've talked to a lot of people out in my audience that, that have the same struggle, mm-hmm. you know? And so what, what is the first basic step? If you want to meditate, what's the first basic step that you have to have in place? Well, first of all, we put money as energy. That's why it's called currency. It's flow, right? Sometimes it's damned up. So whenever you invest money into something, you're saying, I value this. Every person who, and I've taught almost a thousand people to meditate and a career of 15 years as a meditation teacher. And, you know, when I ask this question, nobody has a teacher. So nobody has invested money to go learn from someone how to meditate. And herein lies the problem. So you don't have a teacher. So then you don't know. You have to learn. People think, oh, how hard is it? Well, it's hard, as you know. It is. Yes, it is. So there's a couple of ways I look at it. Okay. So the point of the practice is to be aware when you're lost in thought. So you build a muscle. So you sit for 30 minutes every morning. And as the mind wanders, I teach people a mantra, which is helpful because it keeps them fixated on something. But every time the mind wanders lost in thought and you become aware of it, you're just building a muscle of awareness. Oh, lost in thought, take a deep breath, come back to the mantra, back to present moment. And the meditation practice, so eventually the mind wears down, the time accelerates, it goes by really fast. When that starts to happen, you know you've surrendered. You're not putting up a fight. But there's a a part of you that you haven't mastered. And that, you know, I'd liking it to like, you know, you're a slave to your thoughts. 
you're not a master of them. Once you can master them by sitting every day, it's spiritual hygiene. Because when you sit to meditate, there's so many things happening physically, right? All the um, stress response, you go into rest and digest. It's so healthy. Deepak and Dr. Simon, his partner, both physicians would say, if we were diagnosed with something, we only had one thing we could choose, regardless of what the diagnosis is, cancer, anything, and we could only choose one thing, it'd be meditation. Mm-hmm. The body, when you meditate, is getting a message and rest and digest, everything's fine. Our body is miraculous. So it goes in and heals and does everything it needs to do. We're not working against it. But right. when you're entertaining thoughts all day long, 50 to 70,000 of stressful thoughts, right? Just thought alone can create the stress response. There's no tiger in front of me, but I'm thinking a thought and it's my body's behaving as if I'm about to get mauled by a tiger. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. So the, you know, you start, I think, number one, you need a teacher. I mean, I didn't stay consistent with meditation or understand what the heck I was doing until I paid my $375 and went to the Chopra Center and they taught me how to meditate over three sessions. That was a game changer for me. And um, it's foundational in emotional intelligence. If you're not self-aware, you can't manage your emotions, which is self-regulation. Absolutely. And so it's it's foundational. Um, I won't work with anyone who won't commit to a practice. You know, I a lot of people, oh, I meditate when I run. It's How can you do that? <laughs> yeah. It's stillness and silence. Right. You must be still. Once you still the body not to move, the mind will follow because the, the mind follows the body. Right. And because there's more energy, the electromagnetic field of our heart is stronger than our brain. So it's like three to five feet from the heart. The brain's only an inch, the electromagnetic field. So it's a lesser, but most people stay in their head, listening to all those thoughts, thinking they're their reality or the truth. And half of it research shows isn't it's false memories. Right. So meditation is key. And it's, you know, there's, it's the, it's life changing. Right. Because you're telling your emotional self, a.k.a. your little wise one, your your inner child, you're important to me because one of the ways we know someone loves us is they spend quality time. So if if you can't sit with yourself in quality time and just being with yourself, not doing, not thinking, not feeling, what are you really saying? I can't be with me. I don't like me. So I keep looking in the outer world for something to fill that gaping hole inside. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I call that my Swiss cheese theory of trauma. You know, we look towards the outside to fill up all those holes that we have and we have to fill them up from the inside out. So when we close our eyes to the outer world, when we're meditating, we're making our inner world more real than the outer 3D world. And when you do that, that's when you become supernatural. That's, you know, whatever, you know, if my soul's old and I chose those parents, that was the big game changer for me. When I took on an idea that I don't know if it's true, but how do I feel when I tell myself I chose an alcoholic, abusive father that was neglectful and negligent and left us and sexually molested me and abused my mom and my brother and did me on one occasion, abused me physically. 
a mother who put a gun to my head, who did all these horrible things, you know, slice her wrist in and out of mental institutions, like chaos, chaos, chaos. When I started to think, wait a minute, what if what Dr. Weiss was saying in, in that book was I chose those parents because I had debts or I had some kind of karmic, I have to pay back something. I started to view myself as a pretty badass soul, a pretty strong soul. Instead of seeing myself as a victim of white trash, you know, being impoverished, all the things that I grew up with, I began to view myself at a young age in my early 20s as like, dang, I must be destined for something special. <laughs> yes. And absolutely. Absolutely. That makes I mean, it makes so much sense. It really, really does. Thank you. I think so, too. It, it's like I just was working with a client from Canada. She was here and she was a wonderful, wonderful client. And but she was so indoctrinated from her childhood with damnation and sin and heaven and hell. And she was very constricted and worried. She wanted to let it go. She wanted to believe in a creator that wants us, you know, that gives us free will and says, I'm not going to get mad at you if you fail school. Right. I'm going to sentence you to eternal damnation if you don't pass, you know. Right. Yes. It's you that's creating heaven or hell on this earth, you know, and I give you free will to do it. So she was, you know, wanting to let that go and just being with her and seeing how, because it's been so long for me since I was in that place, you know, to have compassion for her that, you know, she was still very constricted and afraid. Right. And that, you know, for so, and, and I, it governed my life forever and ever is that fear-based thinking, you know, I went through my entire childhood that way. It developed into that way as a, as a teen. And then as an adult, just that constant hypervigilance. And it is, it is really hard. It's like a doom loop, you know, trying to get yourself out of it and, and become unstuck, you know, get yourself past that point and open up your mind to new ideas. And And always admit, we don't know. Out of the known universe, if you look this up, these are the numbers. Out of everything human knows, right? We're talking about the brightest, the Einsteins of our time. We only know, they say, 4%. 96% is dark matter and dark energy, which means we haven't pierced into it. All it takes is just take somebody back 20 years ago. We didn't have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Like it was here but we hadn't accessed it. What haven't we accessed now that's here that we can't even see, right? So we live in a mystery. And when you, soon as you start saying, nope, my holy book says this, and this is the truth when it was man who wrote it, you know, man, and they say, oh, it was inspired by God. Well, there's plenty of books. My book's inspired by God, you know, like, I mean, it's, we have to begin to have some autonomy and self-responsibility that the life that we're creating is we are the creator. We are the ones creating it because this creator that created us gives us free will and says, Hey, go for it. Yeah. You're going to believe you're not worthy. Okay. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. Believe you're worthy. Okay. Let me show you how worthy you are. It really is that simple. Sure. It putting out, putting out into the universe, what you want in return. Exactly. 
And, and, well, it, just, and it's not even putting it out. You're not putting it out. You're internalizing a new thought pattern. Yes. Like I got a message when I was little, I was bad, bad girl, bad girl, bad girl. And then I was poor, you know, so then it was like, I'm not good enough. I never have enough. I didn't have enough clothes, enough food. It was always not enough. And then that would became my default, like a computer. Yes. So then I went about my life. I leave home. I get to college. I look through a lens at all the girls still. Oh, I'm still not good enough. My hair is not as pretty as them. I compare myself. I always leave me feeling or anytime anyone's mad at me, I internalize that I'm bad. I did something wrong. So until I was able to unpack those very deep seated from childhood beliefs, those core false beliefs and bring the light of awareness to him and start to speak differently internally so that the lens I looked through was different, right? Because I started to say, I, I am enough and I do matter. And just because my parents were poor white trash and behaved that way doesn't mean I am. And I began to make new choices based on how I was speaking to myself in my own mind, which we're doing all day long. <laughs> Right. But, you know, you use and, you know, that's the saying is you speak to yourself more than you do anybody else. So speak kindly, speak kindly. Yeah, be, be thoughtful, be kind, be intentional. And I think that that is still something that, you know, I mean, so many people struggle with is just, you know, that connection and 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 that and that tone and that intention not only with themselves but then with others you know when you're in that scarcity fear-based mindset you know it just it colors everything yeah you know yeah so it's it's what transformation is it's death and rebirth so there's always a part of us one of my teachers in india she one time I was with her and somebody said, tell us about life. And she started giggling and she said, oh, you know, um, life is a picnic, but death is the party. <laughs> and what she meant by that was that every day she said, you, you need to invite death into your life like you would a long lost friend. She's talking about it metaphysically, spiritually speaking. There's beliefs, behaviors, ways of being that have to die. It's what the Christ story really is in the resurrection. It's right. not the literal interpretation. It's a death of something and a rebirth. And when you do that, you never age. You never, you know, I'm 57 and a half. I'm close to 62. And I know because I've been meditating so long too, you know, you increase your DHEA and you increase, you start looking younger you 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 feel better so transformation even the bible says be transformed by the renewing of the mind yes right we have to keep renewing our mind when we we now know science you know with neuroplasticity that our brain is malleable right yeah. it's not fixed so we can even epigenetics is showing that if we can if you stop saying i you know i was talking to this client or a colleague the other day helping her and she said she has celiac, you know, my celiac. I was like, oh, you, is that your baby, your celiac? You love it so much. It's yours, right? Right. These words, right? Trying is another one. Yes. You're implying I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Well, then, okay, you must want to struggle. Otherwise, you would say I'm practicing this or I'm, 
right? You wouldn't use words because words have so much meaning. True. That's true. And so when we're sowing, you know, what we believe about ourselves, right? We, we want to be really mindful about the words that we're using, but in neuroplasticity, you start thinking differently. Receptor sites in the brain begin to fire in different regions of the brain. That's transformation. That's what's so exciting about this work. My emotional healing system, nothing really I created. It's just stuff I took from all my teachers, right? That I said, this is the system, right? Someone followed this system then they would see results. But a person who doesn't continue to learn and grow and let parts of themselves die, you know, they don't say things like, um, that's just how I am. You know, that's how I've always been. I'm stuck in my ways. You can't change an old, you know, all those sayings. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can change that creates neurorigidity in the brain, which I bet, I don't know if there's research on this links to Alzheimer's, dementia, links to things because the brain's not constantly getting rewired. Yes. Yeah. You have to, you have to, like you said, it's a muscle. It's like anything else. You have to flex it, exercise it, learn new things, you know, explore, be creative and, and all of it. And, and I'm, I don't know if there's a study, but I would absolutely bet that there's links to dementia and Alzheimer's and if you hold a grudge, then, you know, there are studies that show people who can't forgive have heart disease, you know, have higher cases of stroke and, and, you know, cause they've done research where the people who have had that and they talk about their personal lives, they're still holding on to their first, you know, X or, and angry yeah. and victimized. And, you know, it's, a oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a completely, it's a complete shift. It's a complete shift for somebody to, to, to be able to think that way and and open their mind up, you know, to all of those new possibilities. And it's so important. And just take responsibility, right? It's really about that. It comes down to, I am not a victim at some point. You have to make that choice that everything's happening for me, not to me. Yes. So once, you know, the shit hits the fan, if you can ask the question, okay, what's the lesson here and get the lesson. Then when the universe, God, spirit, whatever comes back to check you, <laughs> did yeah. you learn the lesson? Right. You know, then you pass it and then yeah. you move on to the next lesson. And that's evolution. That's what we're here to do. Yes. No, absolutely. And it's so beautifully put. And it's like I said, it sounds simple, but it's it it takes it takes work. It takes work. It takes time. It takes practice. And, you know, all of that. And, you know, I know that another big thing that people struggle with is the idea of, you know, that self-love and that Mm -hmm. self-compassion piece that, you know, we kind of, you know, is, is such an intrinsic part of everything we've just been talking about, you know, and yeah, self-love is, you know, I used to think like, how gone, take me away. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I remember that commercial very yeah. well. Yes. You know, a bubble bath, a day at the spa, go get my nails and toes. Okay. Self-love, I've broken down into six ways that we can love ourselves. One, emotionally. So we're talking about that. The conversation we're having with ourselves. 
Um, there was a book called Tiny Habits. So you create a tiny habit with a habit you already do. So most of our listeners, I hope you're brushing your teeth every morning. <laughs> <laughs> so you create a tiny habit with it. And one of the ways you emotionally love yourself is while you're looking in the mirror and brushing your teeth, you look in your eyes, not at yourself, into yourself. There's a difference, right? And speak lovingly. See the inner child. I tell clients, put a picture of yourself around four or five years old on your bathroom mirror and gaze at that child and gaze at yourself. And I'm a good person and I'm deserving and I'm proud of you and I love you and I love who you're becoming and speaking like that emotional connection with your emotional self, that inner child. Mm. The second way is physically, you know, eating nutritious food, really limiting processed food, eating whole food, moving your body, getting out, walking, doing things, staying active, a body in motion stays in motion, um, you know, physical, speaking kind to your physical body, not judging it, you know, really appreciating it a lot, telling it you're so grateful, you know, and loving your physical body. Then the next one is financially. So children, and think about in all these ways, you know, if you're going to be a healthy, loving adult to the child yourself to a or a child, you would emotionally speak nice to them, say beautiful yeah. things, lift them up. You would um, physically not let them sit on the couch all day and eat Doritos. You would make, you know, feed them good food and get them out playing and moving their body or in sports. Um, third, financially, you would make sure that they're not worried about the lights being turned off or, you know, that there's, you know, you have savings, you're comfortable, things like that. Financially, things are organized in order. Um, then um, spiritually, of course, you know, we we develop our self-esteem usually externally from the world. But if you have a parent who's emotionally intelligent, they'll raise the child to find their intrinsic worth. You are worthy regardless of your grades. You are worthy and loved because you're breathing. Like they, the child will get a message. The parent will model that spiritual connection that you are a child of God. You are divine. You are lovable. You know, you don't have to do anything for me to love you. But on the worldly side where most people are raised, because let's face it, we don't, it doesn't come with a parenting handbook, right? Right. Wish <laughs> we, it did. <laughs> you know, I wish it did. That, I keep thinking that would be a good book to write. It would. <laughs> Except it would be your interpretation of good parenting and not necessarily everyone else's. Yeah. It would be really the skills, right? Of yes. what a good parent is. And that would be, you know, how to love and parent yourself. And, you know, so, um, yeah, so spiritually, you know, meditating, being in nature, having stillness and silence. We live so plugged in, unplugging sometimes, letting your nervous system really unwind and be calm. Uh, spiritually is so important to me. It's the most important because that's what we are, spiritual being, having a human experience, right? Yes. And then um, organizationally. So organizationally, you know, children thrive in organized environments, right? So we thrive and organize. We want to have our cars clean and cleanliness is next to godliness, but it's not just about cleanliness. It's about organization, right? Not being scattered and yes, 
And then the last one is relationships. We love ourselves through the mirror of relationship. We are always in relationship, always with partners, with ourselves, with our children, with coworkers, with the community. And so when we love ourselves through relationship, the relationship is mirroring. It's holding up a mirror. Do I respect myself? Do I love myself? Am I? It's just mirroring back to me the relationship I have with myself. Yeah. And, and it, it, I mean, that's so beautifully put. It and really so is. I want to, you know, if I'm loving myself, I'm not going to be in relationships with people who are dismissive or disrespectful. I teach people to use a Dr. Philism, how to treat me. Right. So if they're treating me, I have to assume, oh, they don't know that that's not acceptable. I set a boundary. Hey, when you do this, that doesn't work for me. Next time they do it. Hey, I told you that when you do that, you know, so if you do it again, I'm going to hang the phone up on you. I'm going to, you know, rethink my relationship with you. And if they do it again, done. Right. Even family, divorce yeah. them. Yep. Yes. You're done. I don't yeah. have a relationship with anybody except for my brother. It's very limited. Um, and one cousin in my family of origin. Yeah. And now an aunt, since I wrote the book, or not an aunt, she's a, a, a second cousin. She's kind of resurfaced. So she's like 80 years old, you know, so, mm -hmm. but I don't have relationship because they, they didn't respect me and they judged me. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't judge me and I respect me. So that doesn't work for me. That's right. And those, those boundaries, those limits are so important. And that's what you know, people who have lived experience with trauma have such a hard time with, you know, and, and I did for, I mean, my mom passed away many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, she had so many health issues and we knew she wasn't going to live a long life. She made it to 52, which was amazing. And then my dad just passed away in 2021. And, you know, my contact with him was very limited. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, had other people in my family going, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you go see him? I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't put myself out there like that, you know, because there's no, he has no idea that what he does, you know, how it, how it affects me. So I need to be the one to set that limit and say, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to expose my heart to this anymore, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? But but it is everybody's, you know, like, but that's your parent. And, you know, they did this for you and they did that for you. And I'm like, well, OK, yeah, that's very true. But on the flip side, here's all this other stuff that happened. And, right. it, and it changed me. And so, you know, now as a grown up, I can say no more, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, you get it. raised either as a taker or a caretaker and people are predominantly one over the other. And I was a caretaker. And oh, it yeah. creates codependency. And so if you saw mom and dad behaving that way, you know, usually it's dad's the taker, mom's the caretaker. And traditionally, um, you don't have to have addiction to have codependency. I think a lot of people think, you know, Melody Beattie's book came out yes. uh, many years ago and Codependent No More. And it took it was very popular in the 12 step programs. But really at its core, it's about relationship. And it's about saying, you know, I am not responsible for your feelings at all, unless I have an intent to hurt you. 
then I'm responsible. But then, you know, ultimately you have to do, you know, either not have a relationship with me or whatever, if I'm intentionally hurting you. Right. Right. But caretakers believe that they are responsible for other people's feelings, even if they did not have an intention to hurt them and they got hurt. Oh, I'm bad. I did something wrong. I'm a recovering caretaker as well. Now I call myself a caregiver Yes, because as a healthy adult, my primary purpose is to receive love from, from God, the truth that I am good and I am lovable and then give that to myself first prime my own pump, fill up my cup. So I have plenty to give to others. Yeah, absolutely. It spills over into everything else. Yeah. And that, you know, and, and I did that. I was the, I took care of my mom. I raised my sister until she died and then, you know, took care of everybody else. And then, you know, I got to middle age and my kids were grown and they left and I'm like, well, who am I now? Yeah. Because you measure when you have that mentality, you measure your self-worth by how much you do for others, how well they respond to what you do, you know, how and if they don't, then you're resentful. Absolutely. Or then if there's something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, I must have done something wrong. And it was that way with my jobs. You know, I identified myself through my work and how hard I worked and, you know, all of that. And then when you get to the point where you go, well, wait a minute. That that can't work. That doesn't work, you know, or I'm depleted. And oh, yeah. And you'll keep attracting takers. You know, those are the people who point the finger and call you selfish when you do something for yourself because you point the finger. You got three pointing back at you. Right. It's projection. They don't like you taking care of yourself because you're not taking care of their needs because takers, unlike caretakers, believe that others are responsible, they at their core believe they can't take care of themselves, that they need some connection to someone else, or they'll die. They feel very, um, you know, insecure and not able to care for themselves because they're so disconnected. Right, right. And then the caretaker, when you unpack it enough, you'll see there's a lot of martyrdom. There's a lot of selfishness because they're doing almost from a place of superiority. If they knew themselves well enough they'd see that they're actually are being selfish because they're doing it because it makes them feel good because as soon as the other person's not appreciative they take offense I'm so kind I'm so loving I'm so believe me I did this with my step I had five stepchildren in my first marriage oh my gave 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 and I was always in a story about how ungrateful they were yeah well but why was I giving to ungrateful people? Then I, you know, I was to blame, not them. Right. And I, and I think that's why so many people too in, and it happened to me, get pulled into relationships involving domestic violence in a partner violence, because it's yeah. that, you know, you just segue from caretaking one person or group of people and you get sucked into something else because you don't have the ability to understand who you are and your needs and that your needs are okay. And, you know, so you just get sucked into that whole thing, which is, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other subject, but I mean, it's just, it leaves you very vulnerable. Yeah. Well, most people, you know, to have love, to love yourself and accept yourself 
there's nothing greater that you can do. Because the way I teach people is just think about yourself as a child. Look at this picture. Like I have this picture of me, you know, I'm like four here. Now I look at that little girl and I think she was going through a lot and my heart softens. And I think she is me like, and, and wow, she was brave and she was strong. And then I want to befriend her. I want to give her the happy childhood. You know, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Or I've changed it now on my website. It says now is the time for a happy childhood. <laughs> yeah, that, which is amazing. And, you know, it's funny. I would, for a long time, you know, I would pull out pictures of, you know, myself as a little girl with my parents and everybody was happy and smiling. And I would look at them and go, boy, if you knew what was coming down the road for you, you know, what would you do? How would you look now? You know, if you knew, if you could see into the future and what a nightmare it was going to become, you know, and, and I had to change that. I did the same thing. I'm like, you know, you need to have love and compassion for that little kid because look what she survived and got through and learned and, you know, like, then you like bow to yourself. You're like, darn, I'm amazing. I got through <laughs> all of that. And here I am like, you know, Yeah. and then that makes you start to fall in love with yourself. And we're talking about self-love and you begin to really see, you know, your trajectory through life and the choices that made you, you know, who you are and where you are today. And then you're always home because home is where the heart is. And so you feel good in your skin you feel comfortable you're authentic you're not fake you're not people pleasing you're not trying to fix people and you know you're just I'm me you're just you you. yeah and you be you and we're all good yeah that's right and if you don't accept me for who I am that's just fine you know you can do your thing and I'll do mine and and yeah, because you, know. you accept yourself and when yeah. you accept yourself, when some, I tell people, cause I teach shadow work, when you feel, you know, I ask this question, do you care what people think about you? And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I care what people think. Oh, you say, no, you don't. You only care what you think. Yeah. Think about it. So mm-hmm. is there a time when people give you compliments and tell you you're beautiful or the meal you cooked or how amazing you are, blah, 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 and you deflect it and you can't receive it. Yep. That right there tells you, you don't care what they think. Yeah. Now they judge you and you think you care what they think because why you agree with them. Had you agreed with them on the positive, you could have accepted the compliment. And that's how you can unpack. Oh, I really don't care what, well, what do I think they think of me? You go to the worst case scenario and you just say, yeah, there's a part of me. You know, parts therapy, it's like we are a whole being. God created us whole, but we fragment based on our conditioning. So we end up, you know, identifying ourselves as not smart enough or, you know, an idiot or a failure because a marriage failed or whatever it is. And then as soon as we begin to identify with that part and someone comes along and pokes at it and makes mention of it or says something, right? Yeah. And you're like, ah, <laughs> you don't care what they think. You had already made the judgment. Yes. So you just have to realize it's just a part of my pie, my big pie, it's just a slice. It's not the totality. 
and love and accept it. It's a little child who got a message at a young age, you know, not to be something. And then when we are that way, because we're multidimensional beings, we have every quality that exists on this planet has a potential to exist within us. Murder. I mean, any, many. Well, you start to have compassion for yourself and your fellow human because you realize, you know, that we are everything. And there's reasons why we behave the way we do, because we were arrested, developed when we were children. And we want to have the maturity to go back to that little, you know, child and rescue them, you know, and let them know I'm here. And mom and dad didn't do a great job, but now I'm here and I'm going to show you. Right. And that's what my wise little one showed me, you know, was, oh, my God, you'd given me an amazing life. And when when she did that, I fell in love with myself. I began to really honor and value. I'm not perfect at it. And there's times where I don't. But overall, I'm very at peace with myself and who I am because I have tools, right, to know how to get through when I'm not. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everything starts with learning how to be regulated. Nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing can happen without that. Exactly. So, Cause then you're incoherent and you're not even thinking clear. Yeah. yeah. That, that's exactly right. So you have to be able to learn how to regulate yourself and then work on it from there, you know, and it's like, you know, I describe it as the foundation of a house. You know, if you're looking at building a house from nothing, that first foundational piece, that concrete slab, that's you. That's where you start. And every that's meditation. Yes. Yes. It is. It's it mind, is. it's mindfulness. It's being aware that I'm creating my reality based on what I'm thinking. Right. My thoughts are a derivative of my beliefs. If I keep thinking a thought, it's going to turn into a belief. And the belief might not even be true, like the example of I'm a bad girl or I'm not good enough or, you know, all of those things. So the foundation of healing is to get still and quiet and know the truth of who you are, that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. You're here to learn and grow. You're here to give something greater back to the world, not be a taker and just take, take, take. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's such and and you know that's such a beautiful way to end the conversation. It, it's just it, you know just even listening to you and you know when you you know that you know yourself that you put out there is just so calming and so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thank you so much for your time. I know how valuable your time is. And I know you must be crazy busy. So thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing your sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and experiences and all of it. Um, So everybody go to janawilson.com and you can you can pre-order the book right little wise little one you, you can, can pre-order yeah. it and it's going to be available wherever you buy your books amazon you're going to do audible too correct yeah mm-hmm. i'm and, in the studio this week recording the book i'm going to read it oh my gosh that's wonderful i'm so excited for that 
and um, check her out. You can find she's in New Mexico. She lives off the grid with her husband and loves her animals and and loves her space. So go check out her website, please. And I'll put all the links into the show notes. And, and again, also to Terry, put the emotional healing retreats. There yes. is a link on Jana Wilson. But if somebody was interested to coming to one of the retreats, we have one coming up in September in Florida, where I'm from. And um, it's a five-day retreat. It goes over Labor Day. It starts on Labor Day and it goes that week. And um, we teach all this emotional healing system. My husband, um, who's a physician, he co-leads it with me. And our my daughter, Taylor, who's 34, almost 35, she's the yoga instructor. And so we kind of have a whole family affair. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love that. Yes, I will absolutely put the link to the to the retreat for sure. Thank and you. thank you so, so much. And um, well, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Big hug, Terry. Yeah, you too. And uh, take care and we'll be hearing from you real soon. Okay. Thanks, Terry. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today. And please keep on listening wherever you listen. Please like, subscribe, favorite, follow me, and share widely. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, on Twitter at Walker 58 my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, and my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com. Please take extra good care of yourself and we'll talk soon.